This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, this is Kelly from Detroit, Michigan. And when I'm not changing diapers, and no, not mine, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy pie day, everyone. I'm so into pie. You got your cherry pie, you got your blueberry pie, you got your pizza pie. On today's show, we work the angle on a horrifying story about nursing homes. Here to share stories from her career managing a nursing home serving the poorest among us, we welcome Susan Hodges. In our headline segment, another celebrity is clean out of money. Shocking. We'll also throw out the Haven lifeline to Stacy, who wonders about saving versus paying down debt. You know, there is a third option, Stacy. Which should she do first? As always, we'll answer a letter from the mailbag and, of course, feature some of my pie-related trivia. And now, two guys who think that circumference was the fattest night at King Arthur's Round Table, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. That dude's huge. My favorite is peach pie. Mm. Maybe a little scoop ice cream. It's a great day for pie. Hey, everybody. Happy Pie Day. Welcome to another episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show, where we celebrate obscure holidays like Pi Day. And is that how Not you're really do- that obscure, right? What, what, well, you're right. It's um, all around us. It's Nerd Math Day, actually. That's what it is. It's <laughs> it's it's perfect for a show like this. How many how many digits of Pi do you know off the top of your head? Three. Excellent. You got me beat by one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't beat all of that, OG. And that's that this episode of Stacky Benjamins brought to you by Blue Apron. Speaking of food. Speaking I know. Yum. <laughs> I don't think they have pies in their uh, little, little snacks oh, and goodies, though. Oh, that would take fantastic and make it fantastic. Like Blue Apron dessert. That's a, that, there's an idea, Blue Apron people. Come on. What are you waiting for, Blue Apron? We're handing it to you. We're handing this goodness to you. Blue Apron's treating Stacky Benjamins listeners to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash SB. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash SB. 
We're also brought to you by Magnify Money. You know, when you're walking into your local bank, why don't you ask yourself, what am I doing here when most of the best stuff is online? Over 92% of the best stuff, whether it's checking accounts, savings accounts, student loan refinance, credit card refinance, getting that auto loan so that you have a drive to work, whatever it might be, stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money. We prefer that you pay cash for cars, but if you need a ride, OG, you need a ride. There's always Uber. There, there, there is. But and there's always stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money. We have a great show today. Susan Hodges has uh, one of the best uh, small publisher books I've ever read. This thing is a page turner, and it is these these stories. Holy cow! Uh, stories that um, you don't want to hear, and you want to hear all at the same time about nursing homes. And uh, Susan certainly had a front row seat to what happened in Fort Worth, Texas at a nursing home she worked with. So we're going to talk to her today. But first, we've got some headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Some people excited about the Oscars a couple weeks ago, but uh, guys like you and I, we're big fans of the Lipper Awards. Did you stay up late and watch the Lipper Awards? <laughs> I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Make sure that you... First of all, I don't ever stay up late, so you don't have to worry about that. But, oh, uh, I wonder who's going to win best mutual fund category. <laughs> best overall fun team. Best overall fun team. Oh, please, 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 please be T-Roll Price. Please, please be T-Roll Price. Yeah. Uh, Lipper Awards, Vanguard, the new victor, T-Roll Price, and American Funds, clobber in the target date fun categories. In terms of pure weight, no fun company collected more iron at this year's Thomson Reuters Lipper Awards than the Vanguard Group. A uh, couple Tuesdays ago, in a ceremony in New York, we saw the Malvern, Pennsylvania-based fund complex capture 29 trophies by 14 different mutual funds. The annual awards, based primarily on quantitative risk-adjusted performance. That's how I like all my awards, by the way. I only look at award shows that are based on quantitative risk-adjusted performance. Like, how many people attend these? Like, seven? Well, that, could you imagine if they applied the same criteria to like the Oscars. They're like, yeah, you did a good job, Colin Firth, but it really didn't take any risks in your acting. No. So we're not going to give it to I you. I thought you played the part of King George. Very straightforward. Yeah. No risks. So therefore no reward. Sorry, no trophy for you. Uh, a quote from uh, Tom Rosen, head of research services at Lipper. He says, we're really paying attention to risk avoidance because we know investors hate downside performance. Isn't that except downside performance is not risk, but okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I might argue with again from Thomson Reuters. Right. Let's take a look at uh, some of the Lipper Fund Award winners. You ready? Please. I cannot wait. Fund Family winners, Best Overall Large Company Fund Family went to TIAA Investments. Best Small Company went to Thrivent Mutual Funds. That's that's a name I did not expect to hear. Uh, with small Dark company, how about that? A uh, large company equity. So there's large company overall, and then large company equity. Large company equity, dimensional fund advisors, uh, won that one. Small company, prime cap management company for fixed income. Large company, Morgan Stanley won that one. Uh, small cap, uh, fixed income, Ashmore funds. Uh, so we should all put all of our money into all these funds, by the way, since now they are winners. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Equal shares with no other thought behind it at all. It's hey, they've got a bigger trophy, so we should put all of our money in there. 
uh, the winner in alternative managed futures funds, which was oh, the hotly this this is the this is the this is the hotly contested. This was the big one, way out of the blue. Three sixty one global managed futures strategy fund class I. Oh well, yeah, not their class A share though. No, underperformed, <laughs> way risk under- adjusted quantitatively. It's, it's the front end fee that killed it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, on target date funds, mixed asset target today funds, American Century. Uh, one that one American Century one choice in retirement portfolio. Uh, for let me see for emerging markets, American Century, uh, NT emerging market fund class G. I love these all the spaghetti at the end of they these. Just make them up. Uh, for for target class Q for target thirty five mixed asset target twenty thirty five my favorite asset class American funds twenty thirty five. American funds won 2030, American funds 2040, American funds 2045, American funds 2050. Uh, some Show good offs. stuff there. Yeah, American funds, you're right, taking it home there. So good stuff. Which asset classes did Vanguard win in? Uh, Vanguard won in the California Intermediate Municipal Debt Funds category, International Large Cap Growth Funds, General U.S. Government Funds, Corporate Debt A-rated Funds, General U.S. Treasury Funds, New Jersey municipal debt funds, uh, Ohio municipal debt funds, Pennsylvania municipal debt funds, utility funds, California intermediate municipal debt funds, Ginny May funds, international large cap growth, uh, general U.S. government funds, corporate debt A-rated funds, general U.S. treasury funds, Massachusetts municipal debt funds, mid-cap value, uh, and it goes okay, on and stop. On. Yes, yes. This isn't thrilling. That's not, You don't want the – this is scintillating stuff, man. These are the awards for the business that we're in. It's okay. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't mind missing them. Yeah. Let's move on to headline number two. This comes to us from uh, Yahoo Entertainment, which, of course, we follow closely here at Stacky Benjamins. Lisa Marie Presley. Did you see this? Her messy divorce sheds light on her downward spiral. This written by Susie Byrne. Uh, studies have shown that life gets better at fifty. So here's hoping some of that reaches Lisa Marie Presley. Having hit that milestone age earlier this month, the only daughter of the late Elvis Presley's had her share of ups and downs from her father's death when she was nine to early substance abuse issues and marriages that made tabloid fodder. She, of course, hung out with, as you remember, uh, Michael Jackson. Remember that whole thing? But with age comes more drama for the songstress and mom of four. Not only has she blown her fortune, she says she's $16 million in debt. Oh, is that all? Yeah. She's going to do the snowball method from Dave Ramsey. Uh, she's in the middle of multiple legal battles. I read something earlier in another piece that says she has $14,000 uh, to her name right now. It's, it's pretty good cash reserve, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're on a debt payoff plan of your $14 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's a lot of rice and beans. It's it's just horrible to see it spin, spin out of control for people, and so they end up having... Uh, Having no money. Uh, Lisa Marie inherited her father's estate worth an estimated $100 million when she was 25. Thanks to Graceland licensing of her father's image, the business continued to make approximately $40 million a year. In 2005, after... How can you not make it on $40 million a year? In 2005, after a few bad... $40 million a year for like 25 years. Yeah. After a few bad business moves, she decided to sell 85% of the stake in Elvis Presley Enterprises... Uh, we took on more debt than I felt comfortable with, she told Fortune at the time. However, her spending habits were an issue, according to the magazine, with Presley, quote, running through $5 million to $7 million a year, amounts that closely match the annual net income of the business. Basically, just like a lot of families in America, OG, 
the money came in and she found a way to make sure that it went out at a slightly faster pace. This is a great case for thoughtful and well, well-funded estate planning strategies. We work with clients and talk about this. Sometimes you get that feedback, and I know, Joe, you used to get it too. Oh, I'll be dead. I don't care. Hey, if they blow all the money, that's up to them. But don't you have a responsibility if you're in a position that, uh, that you can change the trajectory of multiple generations to kind of put some rules on it to protect your family from itself, to protect, in this case, a nine-year-old girl from herself? I can't imagine that when she turned 18, they were like, so you're an expert in math now and with all that high school education you got. So here's all the keys to the kingdom. Right. And all anybody's telling you from the time that you're nine, I'm sure, is that you're wealthy, you're wealthy, you're wealthy, you're wealthy. And so you see stuff, you think, well, I can afford that. Yeah. So I think it's a really great idea to put restrictions in your estate plan, not unreasonable ones. Right. But you can have a team of people. You don't have to have one trustee in your estate plan. You can have two or three. You can say, hey, I want four or, you know, you got to have an odd number. But, you know, I, I want five people on my investment decision board. And different types of people, right? The financial professional, the state planning attorney or whatever. And then when they, your board comes to you with these cockamamie ideas of let's go build a whole bunch of chicken restaurants, two of the people go, that's a terrible idea. We're not doing that with our money, even though they're not attached to it. I think, um, I think you owe it to your family to make sure that they're protected, even protected from themselves. What are some of the restrictions you've seen a lot? during your career? I like some, some restrictions people might want to consider. Well, on estate plans, if the do nothing, you got to kind of start with the do nothing plan, right? So if you don't do anything, your kids get the money when they turn 18, right? That's the kind of most states operate that way. If there's anything left, they get it at age 18. Well, I don't know about you, Joe, but I, I didn't make the greatest financial choices at age 18. <laughs> I didn't make the greatest financial choices at age 28. Um, some might argue I didn't make them that great at 38 <laughs> a few years ago. But um, I don't know that there's a best practice here, but I think that what you want to do is reward doing the right things along the path of being financially responsible and not reward those things that will get you in trouble. For example, in ours, we give our kids a little bit of extra money that they can spend as they wish when they hit certain milestones, right? So if something were to happen to me or Mrs. OG at the same time, then we say, okay, um, you know, when you get done with college, here's a few dollars. It's not enough to go buy a Ferrari, but it's enough to move to, you know, you're, you're, you're moving your son for his first job, right? Not right. in an expensive trip, right? A couple, couple airfare, you got to pack the car up, you're staying in some hotels enough to like, make that not a burden, right? By the time uh, you hit certain ages, we're saying, okay, you can now be in charge of a portion of this on your own. I didn't say, here's a check for a million dollars at age 30. You can be in charge of that portion of the trust on your own. And what that does is it allows the rest of it to stay put, and it allows the trustees of that to observe the behavior of of the person with that smaller amount. And then they can say, okay, yeah, you're not really learning the lesson here. I'm just sitting here thinking it's funny because most people that know stuff about estate planning, all they think about is the estate tax. They don't think about any of this, right? I just want, I don't need to, I don't need to trust anymore, OG, because those estate taxes now are yeah, way, 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 way above me. 20 million, so I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Don't need any of that. And yet we look at this story here of people blowing through a lot of money again, which is, which is sad. I mean, it's a, 
it's a very sad, sad situation. I think the lesson is number one, take your estate plan seriously. Number two is Lipper Awards. Make sure you got your front row seat next year and wear, wear a bow tie. Coming down to the basement, a new friend of ours, uh, Susan Hodges. Uh, she is an LNFA. I think we'll ask her what LNFA stands for. Basically means she runs... MNOP. Basically, yeah, BMOC. Uh, basically means that she runs nursing homes. This book of hers, A Breach of Trust, Your Life Belongs to Them Now, based on a true story, is all about some of the horrors of what happens um, in, in inside nursing homes and also some of the tragic talk about estate planning OG and elder care planning things that happen late in life lots of uh, stories in here I've, I've been telling these stories ever since I learned of Susan to friends of mine like every time we go to dinner I'm like you got to hear this story and I'm sure that we'll get some of those out of Susan today uh, here she comes down to the basement uh, Susan Hodges Susan how are you I'm great. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. And I told you when we were scheduling this interview that your book was a page turner. But of course, you lived it. I would rather read it than live it. Some of the stories that that, that you went through. But tell me about your career as a you were an LNFA. What is an LNFA? It's a licensing nursing facility administrator, which means you're administrator of a nursing home. What made you want to go into that? Because it seems, I always wonder, I think it takes a very special person to want to go into that field, Susan. It really does. It takes a compassionate and caring person who really loves human beings and wants to be a servant to a human being. That's really what it is. And I became interested in becoming an administrator when my father was diagnosed with cancer. I mainly wanted to go back to school and take some medical courses because I needed to understand what was going to happen to him and how I might help him through, you know, this process or this illness. And I met a lady that was a nursing administrator at a hospital. And I just kind of went into the nursing home because I met also a friend of hers that taught classes on how to become a licensed nursing facility administrator. So that's how I got started. And once I did, I fell into it and became in love with the residents, not actually the job or the business part or any of that stuff. But, you know, I just love taking care of the elderly and the residents. You can definitely read that in the pages of the book. I mean, it really just comes out. But you didn't start your career as, you know, an 18-year-old right out of high school going into college for this degree. You started this a little bit later in life. Absolutely. I had a great career over 20 years of being a property manager. I was a property manager for a great company that was based in the Fort Worth, Dallas area. You know, I loved it because I could be around a lot of people. I managed some strip malls. I also managed some high-rise buildings, also multi-residential apartment complexes. So I was pretty set, and I was pretty happy with what I was doing and uh, enjoyed it. But I decided later in life to focus more on, you know, the medical condition of my dad. And I just decided, I just kind of jumped into the water, (laughs) I guess you would say, 
and decided I'm going to make this change. I'm going to figure out how I can help him, you know, and also try to make his life become you know, livable and without as much pain as possible. Well, and people are, are wondering what that has to do with anything, but it was partly because you were different than most of the people that you were in school with, that you got this placement in school for a facility that most people don't get placed at. Tell me about that. Oh, it was a wonderful, wonderful facility where I trained. I never heard anybody that I, when I toured the facility when I was training there, that they did not want to live there. I mean, they definitely wanted a room there. It was just unbelievable. It was for very wealthy people, for sure. You had to put down at this time $250,000 to even get into this facility. And of course, it cost a lot more to take care of these residents and give them the luxury that they demanded. So it's like a 1%, you know, nursing home. And it was a CCRC, which is a continuing care facility, which means as you get sicker, you move down to the floors, like to assisted living, and then maybe to the floor that the nursing home is located on. We see that a lot with, I know, nursing home facilities or assisted living facilities. I mean, I've seen these complexes where people start off on the outside if they're not high rises like this one was, but they work their way in kind of toward the middle. Is that is that fairly common now? I don't know. It's not really common anymore as much as it was yeah. because most people do not want to sell their homes or have their assets depleted, you know, to get into one of these homes. So when they look at the price of it, they're really scared off because they don't know how many more years they have left and they are worried that they may end up, you know, losing everything. Sure. So they're not as common, uh, you know, as, as they were, but they actually started out churches are the ones, in fact, the one that I was trained at, are the ones that actually started these facilities. And the reason of this one particularly, there was three widows that their husbands uh, died within about four months of each other. And the ministry of their church did not know what to do with them. And it was at a time that women didn't write checks, didn't drive, didn't know how to air up a tire. Basically, they cooked food and kept care of the house. So now they had three people they did not know what they were going to do with. So they actually came up with the idea of the CCRC, and that helped these widows be able, you know, to stay in a safe, good place and and invest in their lifetime. So that's really how this home started, which to me was uh, an exceptional way to do it. You talk about marble floors, about excellent uh, service, about the uh, gourmet meals that they ate, uh, phenomenal entertainment, like these people, to, to your point earlier, doing some fantastic stuff. But then... You finish your training, and I love the way you juxtapose this, by the way, Susan. <laughs> you finish your training, and you're looking for a job, and there's more more people looking for jobs than there are jobs, and you get this call out of the blue one day. Tell me about that call. Oh, it was very exciting because, yay, I had spent you know, two or three years trying to get my license, and here I was not making any money, not bringing in any income. It's a little scary thing. I was using my savings to live on. So I was pretty much desperate for a job. And I was really worried at my age that maybe, even though we're not supposed to use age to, you know, to hire 
it may be a factor still uh, in getting hired. So I was pretty much wanting just to get a home, any home, and dive in to get experience. A selfish thought for sure, but that's just kind of where I was at the time. Right. But this guy that called you was not, I don't think he was the type of guy I expected to read about calling about this sort of thing, because this, the, what happened next is, is so bizarre. That is correct. It was very bizarre. <laughs> well, he called me and said, can you interview at a Chili's at nine o'clock? <laughs> and I said, a Chili's? Uh, he wanted me to come to a Chili's that was centered kind of in the Fort Worth area. And my first reaction was, well, sir, Chili's don't open up at nine o'clock. <laughs> and he went, oh, that's right. Uh, they open up at lunchtime, which is 11. So uh, I was a little eerie, but I thought, well, it's a public place. You know, there's going to be, you know, people parked in the parking lots. And so if there's any trouble, at least I have people around. So I agreed to meet him at this Chili's. He told me what vehicle he was driving. I kind of explained a little bit about me and my vehicle. So I met him. And he was quite a character. He was the director of operations. And we sat down and we ordered iced tea. And he just kind of explained to me that he had an administrator that he said was not any good and that he had to fire her immediately. And he was looking for an administrator on the spot. After reading my application, he said I was perfect for the job. So I got a little bit of buildup. And then he told me, is it okay if we leave and go to view and tour the facility? And this place, so, and this place, not to cut you off, Susan, but this place was uh, slightly different than the place where you trained. Absolutely, totally different. Very different. Yeah. So you pull into the parking lot and what do you see? I see buildings that should be demolished. They were run down, dilapidated. I see uh, graffiti on buildings. It was in a very seedy part of downtown Fort Worth, but it was in two miles of the place that I trained. It's so amazing. In fact, I remember, I think I recall you saying you thought that you had pulled into an abandoned building uh, parking lot and started walking across the street. Like you couldn't figure out because there were no cars there and the buildings look like they need to be demolished. There's no way this was the place you were going to work. Exactly. I really had, I thought it was empty. I thought it was a rundown, emptied, you know, building. So I did head, head off to the other building that had cars parked in the parking lot. And when you went into this building, how many people actually were in the building that you thought was abandoned? About 80. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so incredible. And it turns out that this place is, well, well, who ends up in, the, in this type of a nursing home facility, Susan? Medicaid, definitely not private, uh, not, not very many, if any, would be a private pay. So it's basically a Medicaid, also Medicare, because you can uh, get, take some Medicare patients there if they have like a 30-day to a 60-day stay, if they come from a hospital. So sometimes we would get Medicare patients. And we also, surprisingly, had a VA contract and we would get VA residents there also. And the things that happened here, I mean, I think it was on your first day that the drug dealer came in. Do you mind telling us that story? Oh, yes. That was very scary, believe me. I had the director of nurses come to me and tell me that there was a relative, a son, of a female resident in, in the facility that he wanted to check her out. 
I said, well, family, if you know, it's okay, family can check her out. There's no problem. And she said, the problem is he wants to check her out because he wants to prostitute her for drug money. His mother. His own mother. Yes. And he was quite messy, reeked, his clothes reeked. He was sweating. He was pacing back and forth. He was cursing under his breath. So the drug part, I really did believe because he really did look like that he had had been drugged up for sure. Well, what Uh, what did you do? Well, I went out and I told him, I said, I'm sorry, but your mother is not feeling well today and she cannot be checked out. That's when he blew up at me. He basically told me that his mother was going no matter what. So I settled the situation by saying, please don't get excited. We're here to help you and your mother. Give me just a minute. I'll get the staff to get her ready. That's when I went back to my office. I picked up the uh, office phone and I dialed 911 and I asked for the police to come and they did come. But in the meantime, you went back and talked to his mom. Yes, I went back into the room and she had a roommate. And because I had not met the residents at this time, I asked which one was the mother. And the lady in the far bed said, I am. So I went over to her and I pulled the curtain that was in between them. And I had a little bit of a private conversation with her. And I said, your son is here. And she started to get up. And I said, oh, no, no, you don't have to get up. I said, do you do you understand why he's here and where he wants to take you and where you're, you know, where you're going? And she said, yes. She said, I understand that my son is a drug addict and he has been an addict for years. And I do this to help him out. My stomach turned when I read that. Yes. Yeah, it was really, really sad. In this facility, 85% were either prostitutes or alcoholics in their lifetime or addicts. Mm -hmm. When you went back out to him, I love how you, you pretty much made him sign a confession without him knowing it. Yes, I asked all this information, and it was really kind of funny because he gave it to me. I was very surprised. I asked him what street he was taking her on. I asked how long she'd be out. I even asked for a social security number, which he gave me. I asked, you know, where he lived. I mean, just on and on because I had to make, you know, something up and something that I had to put on paper, first of all, to make sure that I knew where he was going. And I was waiting on the police and he was getting antsier and antsier. So I was thinking, oh, my goodness, he is going to leave with her because it seemed like it took forever for the policeman to show up. And when the police got there, I'm sure you were afraid. You must have been afraid that there was going to be something happening. Well, you know, most people know in nursing home you have scheduled drugs in the nursing home. So if he wanted to rob us, not of money, but we had plenty of drugs that he would have loved to have. So my thought was, we may have a robbery here and we may get hurt. But I guess he did not really, thank goodness, understand that and uh, and didn't try anything like that. But it really was a worry for me that they would build a home or have a home in a seedy part of the Fort Worth area were scheduled drugs right there on the property. You call the book A Breach of Trust. And I'm I'm curious about the title because 
is the trust between the public and what we think happens in a nursing home and what really happens is the trust between a mother and a son is the breach of trust. Where is the breach of trust in the title? The breach of trust in the title, I came up with that because we are supposed to be a nation that takes care of each other and we have each other's back or we're supposed to. And how we are treating our elderly in the nursing homes or the health industry is horrible. And we should have a breach of trust between all of us that our most vulnerable, our children and our elderly should be taken care of no matter what. So the breach of trust is something that's on all of us. Many of us turn our eyes away from the elderly. We do not know, you know, we do not like how they look, how they smell, how they act anymore. We feel guilty sometimes about not showing up, but we don't want to see them. And there's so many people that say what the elderly miss more is smoking and food. That is not true. What they miss more is the human touch. And you will hear them say over and over, no one wants to hug me. No one wants to hold my hand ever. No one wants to kiss my forehead. It is a very sad thing. And we should have the trust and the ability to take care of our elderly because that's how we're raised. We're raised to take care of each other, not discard us. And I've always said, you know, the, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a community to take care of our elderly. And if both of those are done, everybody that's in between will have a marvelous life. I couldn't stop. I mean, with story after story, sometimes my stomach is turning. Sometimes I'm laughing. I actually was laughing once uh, later in the book. You talk about the residents of your nursing home having pretty much a street fight with the people in the nursing home behind them. Absolutely. We were by a high school and the men, especially, and and some of the women love to listen and go actually sit on the sidelines of the high school football games, you know, if it wasn't too cold. And we would have our little senior section where we could just roll them out, you know, and get them on the field a little bit. So uh, if it wasn't at a stadium, if it was actually at the, the school. So it was great entertainment and great fun. But these, the people that were in this homes, they were actually in their 60s, Not many of them were in their 80s or 90s or 100s, which, you know, most residents are in that category. The reason why they're in there is because the lifestyle they have led has aged them a lot quicker. So at that age, they still have a lot of, I want to say, guts and they're fearless. Moxie. they They really think that they can handle things themselves and they grew up in fights you know they grew up in trying to take care of themselves uh some of them were in gangs you know just that's just the life they live so they do not think getting cut or getting hit is any big deal which is a very very shame you know so yes they thought they could take on some 16 17 year old people you know that are students (laughs) that were actually fist fighting in one pulled a knife and the other one pulled a knife. So it got pretty hairy. I thought we had to uh, back our residents away. Yeah. I thought, are you kidding? Really? Wow. It was, it was, it was amazing. 
I wanted to ask you one, one very, very, you know, there's a lot of people dealing with uh, long-term care in their future. They're trying to do financial planning. People that listen to Stacking Benjamins. I I know there's probably some questions that you wish people asked more often when they're thinking about mom and dad in a facility. What are, what are a couple of the questions, Susan, you wish people ask more often of administrators enough of the facility before they decide this is the right place for their family member? Okay. Well, actually, they should never really ask the administrator because the administrator has no financial duties. We do not get their bank statements, their IRS, or anything to do with their financial. We just get a check to uh, care for them for services that we do for their health care. Yeah. So we don't get involved in that. But what the questions is, they come to us when it's a little bit too late because now what is happening is, let's say, especially during the crisis, the financial crisis in 2008, when everything kind of went upside down and a lot of people lost their jobs. Well, they moved back with mom and dad. Now, mom and dad have gotten really sick, but mom and dad have have the only home and they are getting social security check and maybe living off some of their pension. But they also now have the grandkids with them, too. So now that mom and dad are sick and have to go in the nursing home, the relatives do not want to pay for the care. Uh, They want to keep all of mom and dad's assets. They want that Social Security check to come in monthly. Oh, that's horrible. So for them, right, for, for them, which is understandable because they don't have a job. But it's not understandable because without the care, mom and dad are going to pass away. So they get this feeling that, their inheritance can come to them before you actually pass away. And that is why I think that us grandparents or or us elderly people need to sit down and have a long chat with our relatives to explain to them, if I get to where I cannot function and care for myself, I want to do this. And I want to set it up this way, whether there's trust or whatever, because it happens so often that the kids honestly want the money in a desperate time and not want the health care to be paid for. And I read an article not too long ago that says in this day and age that probably $400,000 is going to be the amount that a person is going to spend in the last years of their life on health care. Wow. So that's where you have to start early. You have to explain what a power of attorney is, which has nothing to do with health care. You have to explain what a, a power of medical attorney is, which does involve health care. And you have to explain what a will is, because they think once you go to a nursing home, the will comes into play. A will does not come into play until you're deceased. Then a lot of people want to hide the money because they're determined that their parents or their loved ones wanted them to have an inheritance. An inheritance is a big deal. It's a big deal quoted in the Bible. You know, money that is made should be handed down to my loved ones. So it becomes very, you know, colluded, and it comes, it's it's very, very hard to explain that. But then it also, on the state level, we have Medicaid, And Medicaid is not going to qualify you, you know, until every penny, every asset you have is spent on your health care before it kicks in. Then you're allowed $2,000 
which usually comes from a Social Security check. And you cannot have over that for the rest of your life. So you are basically put in poverty for the rest of your life. These are all important questions. You're right. This has nothing to do with the administrator. I hadn't thought of any of that stuff, Susan, the financial part. I was actually I was actually asking a whole different question, which is for those people that aren't trying to rip off mom and dad, like who, who really are worried about quality care. Are there some questions that family members should be asking about quality of care that they're not asking about not just activities, but, you know, the competence level of the staff, that sort of thing? Yes. Now, they should, in my opinion, they should look for a home that's going to meet the cultural background of the of your loved ones. Mm-hmm. You should look at a home that feels like home to mom and that mom likes. You should go in and meet the staff and meet the administrator and take a tour. And for goodness sakes, use your senses. Does the home smell good or does it stink? Are the, home, are the uh, rooms in the hallways, are they clean? You know, is housekeeping going on? Make sure, you know, that all that stuff is going on. Is the building maintained? Do the residents look happy or do they look bored and sad? Or does the staff treat you, you know, like they should? Do they answer your questions? Do they answer the residents' questions? Have a meal there. Is the food good? Is it tasty? Would you eat it? Or look at the plates. If no one's eating the food, that's going to tell you right. the food must not be any good. So it's just really walking to home and kind of just saying, this is a good home or this is not a good home. And so you have to just kind of use your eyes and your ears. And if you come and visit, you know, like visit in the morning, visit in the afternoon, visit at 12 midnight. And, you know, you can see then, are the rest of sleeping or are they yelling out because they're in pain? Are there too, you know, loud you know, TVs going on and nobody can sleep. I mean, those kind of things that you know that the administrator has the capability of making and taking care of it and making sure this home is safe and the environment is good. That is her job. Her job is to make that environment as good and family-like and as caring as possible. And that way the staff are happy. That way the residents are happy because this is a home. It is not a business. So that's what I tell everybody when they are thinking about moving mom and dad. And they need to do it not when they first have a, you know, the break a hip and have surgery. Because after that, a lot of times they can go home. They need to do that, you know, when mom and dad are getting frail. They need to start doing their due diligence within let's say two or three years before they think mom and dad may go down. They need to educate themselves. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking too many families probably do this in panic mode and I need someplace right now. That's exactly right. I have several people, uh, residents, who wants to be in a nursing home? Nobody. Mm -hmm. And mom and dad will yell and scream and say really horrible things to their children about putting them in a nursing home. I do not want to be here. Take me home. It is a guilt trip. The family knows that they have to have care. And this is where this comes in. We have been able to, and it's a marvelous thing, be able to extend a person's life by years. We've had several that can live way over 100. I say way over to 104, you know, several in their late 90s. And that's amazing because with care, And with all that we provide in a nursing home, you will get those days, those years, those months. There's no question. But your quality of life 
is what we have not mastered. Your quality of life is not going to be there. The book is called A Breach of Trust. Your life belongs to them now. Susan, where can people get it? They can get it on Amazon or they can go to a bookstore and the bookstore can order it for them or they can get it on Kindle. Awesome. And I will link to the book and I'll link to the Amazon link on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Susan, fantastic book. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Hi there, Pie fans. Mmm, Pie. I know about 3.14 reasons I love Pie, but here's today's Pie-related trivia question. In the Greek alphabet, where in the sequence of letters is Pyus, aka the symbol for Pie, located? I'll be back with the answer after I beg Joe's mom to make us some of that great lemon meringue pie. Today's episode of Stacky Benjamins is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. People that have known me for some time know how much I love Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S. And while many people know what we do, many don't know about the types of meals you eat when you cook a Blue Apron, like strip steaks with potatoes. Oh, my goodness. And spicy maple collard greens, a steakhouse-inspired favorite with a delicious twist, chili-infused maple syrup. Oh, That sounds so good. With incredible ingredients and chef-designed recipes, Blue Apron lets you see what the power of food can do. Whose idea was it for me to do this before I eat? Blue Apron delivers fresh pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes right to your door that can be cooked in under 45 minutes. The menu changes every week based on what's in season and is designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team. Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week and customers can pick two, three, or four recipes depending on what best fits your schedule. Blue Apron sends only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. Coming meals in the next few weeks, get this, that strip steak and potatoes that I was talking about earlier. How about this one? Spicy chicken and stir-fried vegetables with jasmine rice. Creamy fusilli bucati pasta. Is that the way you say that? I don't know. I don't know how you say it. It just sounds like I want to go to Italy right now or get my Blue Apron (laughs) with fried rosemary and walnuts. Blue Apron's treating all of our stackers to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash SB. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash SB. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Uh, chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. 
More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks and guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class stuff? Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Back! With some good news and some bad news. Bad news first, you say? You got it. Joe's mom won't be making lemon meringue pie until after her Harley ride this afternoon. The good news? I got your trivia answer right here for this question. In the Greek alphabet, which letter in the sequence of Greek letters is pi located? The Greek letter piwis, a.k.a. the symbol for pi, is the 16th letter in the Greek alphabet, which is the same place, 16th letter, where the English alphabet, you will find the letter P. Fascinating, huh? And now, go forth, grasshoppers, to your local sizzlers and thrill the multitudes with this amazing Pi Day answer. I'm sure they'll all thank you at least 3.14 times. See ya! If the question had been about pecan pie you probably would have gotten it right i like that too that's pretty good too that, that, that is i'm gonna good. try to get peach pie today though mm. mrs og knows it's my absolute favorite and we've been married almost 16 years we've been together 21 years and i think she's made peach pie three times <laughs> she knows what to carrot she to knows exactly the dangle what you know what to dangle out there Sometime in the next decade, I might make you a peach pie. I'm a sucker for two types of pie. Blueberry pie, of course, because my grandparents were blueberry farmers. And so we'd have blueberry pie all the time. In fact, I used to have to go and pick blueberries. So much blueberry pie, you're like, good, I don't want any more. Oh, I would totally, we'd have to go pick blueberries to put down by the road, you know? And my cousin, my brother, and I, we'd have these big tins, and we were out in the blueberry orchard, and it was always one for the bucket, two for my mouth, one for the bucket, two for my mouth. And then you'd spend the entire afternoon rolling around on the floor going, oh, your stomach hurts so bad. We'd have the worst blueberry uh, stomach aches later. Ha, glory days, huh? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Everybody's like, yeah, email me the rest of that story. Uh, Hey, why don't we go ahead and throw out Haven Lifeline? And tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends, Avon Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things you value most. Obviously, peach pie. (laughs) And And more more peach pie. pie. Uh, Or your family and your time. It's why they created a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free estimate for coverage and learn about life insurance the modern way at stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now. People can skip the medical exam, OG, if you're healthy. How great is that? That saves you a ton of time uh, right there. But can't say enough about um, how streamlined Haven Life's process is. Not quite so streamlined, but a lot of fun is this note from Stacy. Say hello, Stacy. Hi, Joe and OG. My husband and I are 40 years old. We have five months of expenses saved in an emergency fund and a car loan with a balance of a little less than $10,000 at uh, around 2% interest rate. We hope to pay that off by the summer. We invest 15% of our income, not including the company match, into our retirement accounts, um, Roth IRAs and our 401ks, but we still don't max either account out. 
We have a healthy amount saved in our retirement accounts, though, probably around $475,000. We invest $600 total each month into our kids, ages 6 and 3, 529 plans. We've only just gotten started on regularly contributing to the 529 accounts and have just under $10,000 saved there. Finally, we have 25 years left and $235,000 left to pay on our mortgage. So much of what I've read recommends that you first max out your retirement accounts or pay off your mortgage before investing outside of that. However, we're hesitant to do either because we value liquidity, in case the you-know-what hits the fan. While my job's very secure, my husband's a freelancer, and we don't feel comfortable relying on his income. In fact, come April, we, may, we could be looking at an extended period of time without his income. Thankfully, we can squeak by on my salary. So my question is, at what point or under what circumstances would you recommend starting to invest in taxable brokerage accounts? Should we really max out our retirement accounts first? Thanks so much for the entertainment during the long runs and when all my long drives into work. And a huge thanks for that minute of silence between the show and the after show. It's the most relaxing part of my day. Cheers. I don't know what she's talking about. Do you know what she's talking about? Most of the stuff she said, I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> right, right. The, <laughs> the stuff at the end we know, but the rest of it we don't know. No, I don't know what she's talking about at the end, this minute of silence thing. But yeah. let's let's talk about the rest of this yeah. because I think this is a really important point to make about following rules of thumb. Well, right. And, and I don't know that I've ever heard the rule of thumb that says you should max out your uh, – or, or pay off your house before you go to brokerage accounts. I think that um, this is a great candidate for trying to build your financial plan on one income, which it sounds like you're kind of doing, and then supplementing your goals with your husband's freelance income, which it kind of sounds like you're doing. I think if you kind of split out the income you know, and the savings and say, well, we probably live on mine and save all of his type of thing, the next kind of evolution of that is as your income continues to increase – add more savings from your income rather than rather than adding lifestyle because in a, in a perfect world you could have your financial plan accomplished with just your income and your ability to save from your income and then when your husband has his freelance income that can all be discretionary and so that's all discretionary savings it's all discretionary spending it's all debt pay you know, whatever you want to do whatever you, whatever you want to do with it so uh, so that's kind of the next evolution here Five months of cash reserve is great if you feel comfortable because of the because of the volatility of his income to up that to nine months. I'm not going to argue with you about that. If you want it to be 12 months, I'm not going to argue with you about that either. What you want to do is think of the longest period of time that he's gone in his career. You said you're both in your 40s, so maybe you've done this quite a while already without any pay yeah. and plan for that and still plan for the savings and all that sort of stuff. In terms of additional savings, your question particularly was, should I max out my 401k or should I pay down the house or the brokerage account? I would build the brokerage account a little bit right now. If you don't have a regular investment account outside of 401ks, it doesn't sound like there's much there other than cash. And then maybe circle back to the 401k and then think about the house. Presumably, you've got a reasonable interest rate on your house. The mortgage balance is not overly high, 250000 I think you said. So the payment uh, probably isn't too extreme and you're not getting a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak, in terms of paying that down faster. Like we always talk about, if you're going to pay your house off, put it in a brokerage account anyway, yeah. because you know if you end up with owing $6,000 left in your house and you don't make any more payments, they don't come and take only 90, you know, they don't leave you with 95% of your home, they take it all. So I like the flexibility of having the account outside of it anyway, but um so yeah, I would go back to brokerage accounts and then maybe back to your 401ks to max them out. Maybe that's the next step. You know, Stacy, your question made me think long and hard about when I was 
a financial planner, like how I thought through these, like, because there's some assumptions that I made. And actually one of the assumptions is I actually, in my head, always start with flexibility first, right? And then I think how much money can we shelter to get what I think of as additional money in our pocket, right? So I actually start with the opposite of what you're talking about, which would be, okay, we start off by putting everything in a taxable brokerage account. Oh, but you've got this 401k and you've got a match on it. Well, let's put money in the 401k up to the match and see where that gets us and and also see, make sure that that's money that we don't need until after retirement time, right? Because we don't want to give up money that we might need today uh, for, you know, have it locked into a retirement account. So, uh, and then with college, once again, then I look at, okay, let's say for college in a flexible spot, oh, can we get away with putting money in a 529 plan, save some money there? Yes, we can. Let's do that. So I think in my head, as I think through this OG, I start with flexibility and work the other way, but that's become so ingrained to me that I'm like, okay, 401k, boom, put money there, 529, put money there. And I don't even think about it that way, but certainly, certainly you want to protect everything with a very flexible plan. We talked in the past about people that have said online about tax flex or, you know, one tax strategy being better than the other. You and I prefer tax flexibility because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We prefer a cash reserve to investing every penny because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like this, a whole idea of flexibility, much, much better than any rule of thumb, as far as I'm concerned on, you know, maximize your retirement plans and pay off your house. I, I kind of like the opposite. Well, you look at uh, what we just talked about on Monday about uh, Warren Buffett's letter, some of the highlights of that. And and he said, you know, he, he appreciates the fact that his firm is not leveraged to the hilt. And while he's he acknowledges while he's given up uh, the potential for extra return, he sleeps better at night. And that's, you know, from a financial planning standpoint, there is no calculation for sleep quotient, right? <laughs> What's comfortable for one person is not for another. But I can tell you, I've never met anybody that said, hey, I'm really, really stressed out that I've got all this money set aside nice and safe and secure and easy to get to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, now there are people that say, "Boy, I kind of feel like maybe I'm losing out a little bit. Sure. I do. And then you and then you say, well, you know, now your life is going to change, too. And so what you need today, you know, and, and safe and secure and easily accessible, flexible money may not be the same thing that you need in 10 years from now. Right. I mean, the kids may grow up and you know, now you downsize the house and there's all sorts of different things. And that's why financial planning is an ongoing activity. Well, and exactly. And also why it's individually based, because I think that there's, there's also a piece in here, which is know yourself. I know plenty of people who, if you had a bunch of money readily available, that isn't behind a tax shelter, that they might be gone by nightfall. They will spend every dollar of it. So for some people, I remember I'd say, okay, let's start with flexibility. And then I go, no, 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 no. Can't trust. (laughs) Not for you. (laughs) Yes. For you. We're going to, we're going to put penalties on top of penalties to get your money. Not because I love penalties, but because it's the way that you're going to get rich (laughs) because otherwise you're going to spend every dime of this. So put money where you can't get it. So Stacy, I think that's a Great question. Uh, you kind of went off the rails there at the end, sister. But besides that, everything was yeah. uh, good stuff. We also Careful. we also get the mail down here uh, in the basement. And Doug just brought down this letter from our friend Adam. Adam said, sorry, I couldn't leave a voicemail, but I'm not tech savvy enough for that. But I could really use a new T-shirt. Hint, hint. Anyway, here's my Adam. Adam, if you can't figure out your computer, how can you figure out opening your mail? Like it just, it's, it's one, it's actually less buttons. If we send you a t-shirt, will you be able to, to figure out the armholes? 
That's the, that's the tough part. Do we trust him with a t-shirt? I, I don't know. Uh, he says, uh, my wife's employer offers an associate stock purchase plan. And rather than giving a discount for the stock, like, you know, most companies do, they make a percentage match contribution for the sake of ease. We'll call it 10%. So when we buy a hundred dollars worth of stock, they match it with a $10 purchase or of note, this is after tax money, not within a 401k. My question is when it's time to sell and the stock is worth a, a thousand times the price I bought it at kidding. Is that 10% match part of my basis or is it taxed as a capital gain? I've got mixed answers when I asked my friends and family who is hoping the um, pros could answer this for me. Thanks for the help and keep up the great work. Great question, Adam. And uh, uh, we, we might send you a shirt, even though we're not sure that. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't have any idea about this. Do you? I think here's I, the deal. I can guess. It, um, it, it, depends, it depends on how they treat, it, it, and this is my opinion. Neither one of us are CPAs. Check with your tax advisor. My feeling is, is it all depends on how they treat that $10 match in his yeah. paycheck. If, right. if, if it's just like them giving him 10 bucks now and they tax it as 10 bucks, but they put it in his stock, then it's part of his basis and they just helped him make an additional contribution to the stock. If right. it if it wasn't taxed right away and it goes in is their part and then it, it, it yeah if there's no taxes then I think the basis for that portion is zero as a matter of fact yeah right because there's no so it's either it's either the price at which you paid for it or it's zero that portion would be my guess I think this um, is a discussion between your HR department your w yeah. your paycheck stub to take a look at how that money came out and how it was taxed and your tax advisor. Yes, I agree completely. This is exactly the type of question that has to go to a person who's an expert in this field. You know, this is not an answer for friends and family and work colleagues, right? So so you have to have a tax pro in your corner here on this one because the penalties for getting this wrong. Big. Severe. So don't get it wrong, yeah. especially if it goes up a thousand percent. Which stock was that, by the way? I'm I'm interested in stocks that go up a thousand percent. If you want to write in that might earn you a T-shirt if you know which stocks are going to go up a thousand percent. We're afraid Adam might hurt himself with a T-shirt. And we're telling him not to get the tax planning on a, on a stock match program. <laughs> don't get that wrong. He, yeah. Adam, you yeah. can't figure out your computer, but don't get don't get this thing wrong. That's way, way, There's way harder. holes in the T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest one goes on your bottom. <laughs> on your, that, you're going to tell near, Adam near that the, near the bottom. I, I was going to say Adam's going to. How would you tell somebody? Remember that from English class when it was like make a peanut butter and jelly, write out how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like the very specificity of your yeah. directions. Yeah, you know, put peanut butter on bread. Well, what's bread? Where where do I get bread? Yeah, how do I you know how do I get the what where's where's the peanut butter? How do I get it from the peanut butter under the bread? Get a knife. What's a knife? Where's the knife at? You know, and you have to like describe each exact thing. And, and then the English teacher would come back and go, well, what's a drawer? You know, <laughs> where's the kitchen? I, I wouldn't understand where that was. Those were so frustrating. Those are so absolutely frustrating. I don't like English class. Yeah. And Sorry, I, professor. Yeah. And, and, and Adam, we're just joking. Uh, this is I'm a, sure he knows how to put a t-shirt on. This Yes, and this is a good problem to have, by the way. Great problem to have. How to figure out the taxability of the match that most people don't get. I mean, that's... that's <laughs> so I uh, made all this money in the market. How do I... Uh <laughs> How do I pay taxes on this? I got this huge tax problem. It's a it's a it's a big pain. Uh thanks for the letter. If you have a question for us, 
head to stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the website, you'll see questions and click that button and you'll see all the ways you can interface with us. Also, if you're ready to go to the next level with your financial planning, guess what? OG's taking clients. And to find out what it would take to get him in your corner, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G. That's going to do it for today. Thanks a ton, everybody who's told your friends about us. We love the mail that we get from new listeners. We love people joining our Facebook community, The Basement. It's so fun every day talking to people about not just finance, but the things going on in your life. And it's a it's an honor that we're able to do this. So uh, thanks a ton. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Ah, sure thing, Joe. Hey, did you ever notice how much better OG's face looks after a blueberry pie-eating contest? I mean, because you can't see his face. I make myself laugh. It's so good. Okay, hey, what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Susan Hodges. Plan your long-term care strategy while you're young so that you have freedom from worry over some of the stories she told on today's podcast. Second, worried about your estate plan? Maybe you should be after hearing about Lisa Marie Presley's issues with money. Talk to your attorney about how you can protect your heirs from blowing their inheritance in one place. While you can't keep your kids from bad habits forever, you can tweak the odds so that they have a better chance of not blowing the family fortune. But the big lesson? Don't tell Joe's mom's pie jokes. She doesn't get it at all. Like when you have to re-explain them 3.14 times. Well, it's just not worth the effort. Special thanks to Susan Hodges for stopping by. You'll find her book, A Breach of Trust, at Amazon.com or at her website, A Breach of Trust 2016.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. I'd like to thank everyone ahead of time who wants to invite me over for Pi Day today. You're all too kind.
So my birthday celebration was extended because of the nature of the milestone birthday that I just had. And I had some friends reach out and ask, hey, do you want to go to this restaurant in Shreveport about 75 minutes from our house with us and another couple? And yeah, sure. Sounds great. It's a place we'd never been before. It was supposedly, it was this Chinese restaurant. And I just hear, we're going to a Chinese restaurant, supposedly pretty good. I'm like, cool. So I'm in jeans and a shirt. They're coming to pick us up. So we're all going to carpool together. And we pull up the restaurant ahead of time. And it says they were just nominated for a James Beard Award, which is given to like, you know, top restaurants. And they're known for like their food and wine pairing. I'm like, I thought this was like a Chinese place, right? Yeah. I thought we were going to like uh, yeah. <laughs> Uncle Uncle Billy's right. Chinese walk. Right, right. So so yeah. I pull it up on my phone. I pull up the Yelp drive thing. an hour and a half to go to to go get some. Uh, some. <laughs> right. Right. Served in the little white uh, container, you know? Yeah. Ooh, I'll have some egg drop soup mm, and uh, some wontons. B- b- some beef and broccoli, please, and fried rice. So we pull it up and it says white tablecloths, food and wine pairings. And all of a sudden I realized I'm in jeans and a rotten shirt. And the people that are coming to get us are like three minutes away. So luckily, and for the few people that were at FinCon, they saw this. I've got this jacket that I can throw over a t-shirt and make it look decent. So I put on a button-up shirt. Allegedly. I Allegedly makes it, yes. I think it makes me look decent, which your results may vary. But I, so I, I pull on this jacket. I change out my shoes for like my better shoes. And now I've kind of dressed up the jeans that I'm wearing. We get in the car and we head to this place. We're talking about what great food this place supposedly is. And I haven't been to a restaurant that has been nominated for a James Beard Award. Like I hear about them all the time, like Charlie Trotter's, you know, back in the day or, or whatever. The, you know, French Laundry, like these great places. We pull off the highway and it's kind of, it's been raining a lot here. And it's, and it's really foggy. And we pull off near one of the casinos And I think, oh, it's probably in the casino, but it's not in the casino. Across the street from the casino, there is a mobile station, and it's a pretty crappy mobile station. And behind the mobile station is a motel, one of these ones with drive up and the doors are out and it's on two levels, right? Yeah, you can rent by the hour. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Half of the motel has chain link fencing around it because it's crumbling and it's clearly, it it looks like they're remodeling it, but they're probably not. (laughs) They're taking their time remodeling it. And there's a plastic banner hung up on the motel behind the mobile station that says weekly rates, $185 a week, right? Sounds good rates. And then, and then you've got this bar with all these, uh, you can see some flashing signs from, uh, there's uh, pool tables and dart boards and stuff. Big sign says nobody under 21 admitted. And then there's a little sign in the corner that says, I think it was called Lucky Palace. It, it says Lucky Palace. And we're like, that can't be the same Lucky Palace. Like this, this can't be the same restaurant. Not, not in this place. So I've never done this before. We pull up in the parking lot. And before anybody gets out of the car, we call. We're like, hey, uh, we're, we're just wondering where you're located. Uh-huh. Uh, mobile station. Yeah, yeah, we're by it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the motel. Uh and the woman says, yeah, you got to go through the lobby of the motel to get to our restaurant. I'm like, I don't know that I want to go into this motel at all. 
But I don't. I, I don't want. I don't want anything. Do I get a hard hat. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with this place. And I went from thinking I'm underdressed to all of a sudden thinking there's been a huge mistake. Like I've gotten something wrong. And we we walk around to the lobby. We open up the door, and it has a smell of um, old bowling alley. It, and don't get me wrong, there's some really cool upscale bowling alleys, but this isn't that bowling alley. This is the stereotypical, horrible, old smoke that's been there forever smell. Plus, somebody probably has urinated in a corner somewhere in the distance. At least one. At, at, at least one, right. And we walk in, and this is a sign of a great motel. On the left-hand side, not only does the smell hit you immediately, but on the left-hand side is the check-in area, and the woman who's behind the desk doesn't even look up. There's six of us, and the woman doesn't even look up at us. There's no hi, no how you doing, no welcome to the Holiday Inn, my name's so-and-so. I mean, I don't even know what the name of this inn was, but but didn't even notice it's not a place you go on holiday you probably maybe depends on what type of holiday you're having but uh, not one i've had so we walk in and on the right hand side there's the bar and on the left there's a hallway and we walk around the corner to the left and there's these beautiful black doors just these absolutely beautiful black doors it's it's like you know how uh, C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? And you go yep. in the wardrobe in the closet, and you come out, and you're in this beautiful fantasy land? <laughs> in the middle of this hellhole are these beautiful black doors. And we open up the doors, and the first thing that I see is this long, incredibly beautiful countertop. And across the countertop, this wood grain countertop, across it, to my right, there's this bar area that looks so chic, OG, it's it's a it looks like a high end bar area. A couple inconspicuous TVs. You know how in the in in really nice places the TVs are not that big. They're kind of out of the way. Instead, there's mood lighting and, and ambiance. And ahead of us is this beautiful white linen tablecloth, and there are wine racks with all kinds of bottles of wine all over the place. And the server comes up, the, 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 the woman asks how many we have. We have a reservation, takes over this table. The place is unbelievable. It's elegant. It's, it's gorgeous. And then when I have to use the men's room, I walk out. You have to walk through those doors because the men's room is back in the place. It's like you went back out of that wardrobe again. And now I smell the smoke. And then I go to the restroom and the restroom smells like people weren't quite sure where the urinal was, so they just went wherever they wanted. <laughs> and so you're, this looks like a good spot. <laughs> oh, oh, I wasn't sure what that thing was, so I just went over here in the corner. So you hold your nose, and then you go back in, and you're back in this beautiful place. And we had the best food, just phenomenal. They had this this emperor beef thing paired with a Pinot Noir that was out of this world from Oregon. Oh my, it was, it was such a great meal and I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to go back to the motel to get more Chinese. Now, why do you think that they have the restaurant there? Do you think that the restaurant just continued to get better or do you think that they were really good to begin with? And I think the restaurant, I think two things happen and I don't know any of this. I think the restaurant continued to get better 
And I think at the same time, the motel went downhill, you know? So the motel was way better when they first opened and the restaurant was worse and the restaurant got better and the rest of it got worse. Clearly this place needs to move. This place so needs to move, but it's kind of cool that it's in this spot you would never expect to have just a just a fantastic restaurant. So if you're ever driving through Shreveport, uh, the Lucky Palace, and don't let the don't let the, <laughs> the ambiance outside fool you. And if you have to use the restroom, you might need to just hold it until <laughs> until you're you're done with your meal. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.